0: Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Welcome to the most wonderful time of the year. I thought today, to get you into the spirit of the season, I would read you an excerpt from one of my favorite spiritual writers, Dr. Seuss. Every Who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one knows quite the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. He's back. The Grinch is back. Just when we were calmly confident that he'd been relegated to the folklore of Christmas past, that cantankerous old humbug has made his presence known again this holiday season. The green grouch has recently resurfaced in a brand new animated movie voiced by British actor Benedict Cumberbatch. And he's back at it again, back to terrorizing whoever he can find by ruining their Christmas celebration. In the movie, the Grinch calculates that if he can steal Christmas by dressing up as a kind of shadow Santa who does not leave gifts but takes them, along with all of the other trappings and trimmings of the Who's Christmas season, then he could be happy. If he can just eliminate Christmas, then he can eliminate the perennial pain in his puny heart. If he can just turn the Who's singing into sighing, their caroling into crying, then he will have drawn them into his own misery. Then he won't have the happy Whos of Whoville to annually remind him of just how lonely and sad he really is. If you can't be happy, then you try to make sure that nobody else is happy either. I guess that's what you do when you are the quintessential outsider and your heart is two sizes too small. I guess that's what you do when everyone else is singing his or her heart out and you are busy eating your heart out. That's what you do when your loneliness piles up to the breaking point. Almost all of us have our favorite Christmas movie. And whether it is a fictional creation or a slice of real-life drama, we love those stories, don't we? That excite our imagination and stir our emotions. Those stories remind us of the things that really matter in life. They help us to get back in touch with what is important to human existence. And maybe, just maybe, they nudge us back onto the right track and allow us to recover things that we've lost over the last year because of busyness or selfishness or pain. Well, today we begin a brand new three-week series that we're calling Christmas at the Movies. Today, and each of the next two Sundays, we want to look at some of our favorite Christmas movies through the lens of the greatest story ever told. We want to take some time to discover the truth behind the truth of some of our favorite Christmas classics. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Well, The Grinch is a mainstay in my Christmas memory, but yours may not be The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Maybe it's A Wonderful Life or The Miracle on 34th Street. Maybe it's Home Alone or Elf. We can't get enough of our Christmas favorites. Many of them are sentimental and heartwarming, some of them are inspiring and thought-provoking, and still others hint at the promise of a better and a kinder world. Occasionally, they will move us to wonder and to awe. But one Christmas screenplay that we do not often consider is the Christmas movie According to Jesus Christ. What? You mean Jesus Christ has made a Christmas movie? Well, not exactly, But if he did, wouldn't his screenplay be the ultimate Christmas movie? Now where, you might ask, did Jesus write his own screenplay? Well, that's a very good question. Christmas is first and foremost all about Jesus Christ and his arrival on our planet. And the place you look to discover Jesus' take on Christmas is in that source book, the Bible. Today, I want us to look at two passages from the Bible that enable us to see Christmas through Jesus' own eyes. In one text, Jesus looks back to consider what God has been doing in human history. And in the other, he looks ahead to what Jesus is doing now and where this is going in terms of human destiny. Because you see, Jesus came to this planet on mission. He was born in time for a reason. And what he came to do affects you, and it affects me. He came to bring the love of God to earth in a tangible way. He came to make God known to us in a way we could understand. He came to set us free from that which holds us back from being all he created us to be. He came to give us the light of hope in a deeply troubled world. So how does Jesus himself script the ultimate Christmas movie? Just like Dr. Seuss does in the story of the Grinch, Jesus' screenplay brings together two plot lines. Had your outline says, the ultimate Christmas movie depicts our heart's problem. It depicts our heart's problem, that's where it begins. The Grinch is all about heart, and his heart is in trouble. In the movie, it's the Grinch's heart problem that causes him to launch his assault on the Who's Christmas joy. It is his shrunken heart in which he concocts the nefarious plan to steal everything related to the Who's Christmas so that they could taste his bitter misery. Well, in Jesus' screenplay, he also begins with a heart problem. And it is our hearts that he has in mind. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, that terrific book that links together the first part of the Bible with the second part of the Bible, we read these words. Therefore, When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, this is Jesus speaking, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. And it is by that will that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Well, there's a lot being said in that particular passage. Let me try to break it down for us today. Jesus coming to earth is called the incarnation because in Jesus, God takes on human flesh. In order to connect with us, God showed up in person, in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. One of the names given to Jesus is the name Emmanuel, which means literally God with us have you ever been absolutely blown away by something so amazing that it left you speechless some of the moments where i have felt most significantly the magnitude and the magnificence of god the creator have come on clear crystal sub-zero nights when i lived in thompson manitoba my friend stephen and i would exit the city limits and take his telescope into the cold to do some stargazing. Now, it is one thing to take in the wonder in the expanse of outer space, and there's a lot of it. It is another thing entirely to consider that the God who made the stars and knows them all by name is other and even bigger than the cosmos. Those were truly awesome moments. And Christmas, the incarnation, is just as amazing when you stop and think about it. The wonder of the Christmas is that this incredible God came into the world the way we all do by way of a birth canal as a helpless infant. The wonder of Christmas is the season is caught up in this reality that God has come and he's lived among us. Now the question that begs an answer is why? Why would an infinite, all-powerful, all-sufficient God go to those extraordinary lengths to relate to his finite, earthbound creatures. Why did Jesus come? What was the point? That is exactly the question Jesus answers when he skips his version of the Christmas story. Jesus came, in his own words, to do God's will. But what does that mean? What exactly was the will of God that Jesus came to do? Well, let me give you a little bit of background. Jesus' words in Hebrews hearken back to the relationship between God and his people as recorded in the first part of the Bible. We call it the Old Testament. Then, as now, men and women came up against the same heart condition that has infected human relationships with God and each other perennially. The heart problem is called sin. Augustine, a church father and intellect, described sin as believing the lie That you are self-created, self-dependent, and self-sustained. It is trafficking in the attitude that says, I really don't care what God or anyone else thinks. I'm going to live life my way. Now, there was a time in human history when God, who was reaching out to his estranged humanity, his estranged creation, gave 10 commandments and wrote them on the tablets of stone for people's reference. The first four had to do with loving God. The other six had to do with loving others. God said, hey, this is the way human life works the best. This is the way you need to go. But sin prompts us to say, well, listen, I don't really like living God's way. I want to do my own thing. I'm going to call my own shots. The Bible's diagnosis of the human condition is that if you're following along on your outline, that sin is everybody's problem. It's my problem. It's your problem. And it is in us, and it ruins our lives. We deal with the consequences of sin every single day. The evidence in sin in our life shows up in all kinds of ways. Now, you might be thinking right now, well, hold it, hold it. I'm not so bad. I'm certainly not as bad as you fill in the blank, my brother, the guy down the street, the person who's protesting. But wait, have any of these heart-related symptoms surfaced in your life. Have you ever looked in the mirror and seen evidence of selfishness or dishonesty or favoritism or pride? Have you ever had anxiety or brutality or temper or indulgence? What about hatred or greed or immorality or lying? How about hypocrisy or jealousy laziness or a sharp tongue? What about abusiveness or envy or irresponsibility or contentiousness? Listen, the list goes on and on and on. If you have any of these symptoms, you are infected by sin and you need immediate spiritual attention. In the short term, these attitudes mess up our lives here and now and they complicate our relationships. But in the long term, the Bible's prognosis is sobering. Left unattended, sin is terminal in every single known case. The result of sin is death it is being separated forever from the God who created us now because men and women are sinners and rebels we're hopelessly estranged from God the human divine relationship has been damaged there's no connection God is holy we're not holy instead of knowing God's favor The wrath of God abides upon us, because sin has its consequences. And the most serious of those is being alienated from God, who loves us. Now, the amazing news of the Bible is that God is not prepared to leave things the way they are. His love is bigger and more persistent than our biggest and most persistent moral mistakes and miscues. Which brings us back to the whole Old Testament system of sacrificial worship that Jesus refers to in this Hebrews passage. Because men and women sinned, God devised a remedy to allow them to get back into a right standing with him and give him the opportunity to bless them. The way it worked was like this. A person would bring an animal sacrifice to be sacrificed for his sin. His guilt would be transferred to the animal and it would be killed in lieu of his own life. Now, the blood of the animal covered over the sin of the offender. It hid it away. And God would forgive that sin because that sin was considered dealt with. The relationship with God was restored. The trouble with the Old Testament system is that it never changed anybody's heart. People left the place of sacrifice the same way that they came. And there would be another sin, and another sacrifice, and so on, and so on. It would continue. The sacrifice of animals would never be adequate to settle the issue of the stubborn sinfulness in the hearts of men and women. It was a temporary solution at best. The Old Testament sacrificial system upheld the justice of God, but it also underlined the seriousness of sin, at least for a time. But in Hebrews 10, Jesus tells us a surprising truth about how God felt about that whole Old Testament system. We discover that God is not all that thrilled with offerings and sacrifices. Sacrifices can cover sin, but they did not deal with it. He wasn't looking for outward behavior that ignored inward change. story is told of a little boy who got into trouble with his mom. He ignored her wishes, and he got punished for his actions by being made to stand in the corner. Anybody relate to that? Now, not happy with his sentence, he cried out so his mom could hear, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. He was complying outwardly, but he was still a rebel at heart. When hearts are not changed, sin continues to dominate people's lives. That describes the reality that we experience every day. We struggle and we fail to be the people that we should be. We stumble and we fall in our relationships and feeling unsafe in our world we become self-absorbed and selfish the story is told of a reporter who asked the christian intellect and writer g.k chesterton what in the world is wrong with the world and he responded simply i am i am you are i am sin has its consequences and god takes no delight in punishing anyone or seeing anyone suffer he is interested in hearts God was after people's hearts all along, not their sacrifices. And God knew their hearts then, just as he knows your heart and my heart right now. Well, the story of the Grinch is all about how his puny heart drove him to wreak havoc on all around him. And Christmas, according to Dr. Seuss, is about a crusty old soul having a change of heart and finding inclusion in a new community. The offended Whos make their enemy their friend. And that's where the Grinch story ends. Kindness and community win the day. And there's nothing wrong with that. Kindness and community are great as far as they go. But if that's the total solution to human unhappiness, well, let's package up the movie and send it over to the Middle East and let it be shown to every Israeli and every Palestinian. Let's play the movie in Afghanistan in Iran in Hong Kong in Europe in the USA and all across Canada. Let's just sing, send that message all around the globe. It's not that people don't believe in or long for kindness and community. We can't get enough of either in this troubled world. It's just that we don't do it very well all the time. Because you see, we've got this problem. The problem is what the story of the Grinch is about and it is what Jesus' ultimate Christmas movie is all about. But where the Grinch movie ends, the ultimate Christmas movie goes further. The ultimate Christmas movie depicts our heart's problem, but it doesn't start there. As your outline says, the ultimate Christmas movie describes our heart's hope, our heart's hope. In our first text from Hebrews, Jesus said he comes into the world to do God's will. And in saying that, he's pointing ahead to something better than the Old Testament system to fix this problem of the broken relationship between God that human sin has produced. God had a plan to deal with sin decisively and permanently. He didn't want to ignore or wallpaper over our sins and our failures. He wanted to remove it and the wreckage it causes in human lives. Christmas marks the initiation of a plan that was in the heart of God from the beginning of time. And so we come to our second text, the text that looks ahead to what God is doing now and how it will infect human destiny in the future. And so we come to John chapter 6, verse 38. And this is Jesus himself speaking. And he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but I shall raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Now we get to the core of the Christmas story, according to Jesus. He came into this world with a purpose, to do the will of God. And God's will was to decisively deal with the issue of sin and break forever its stranglehold on people's lives. God's will was Jesus to be our savior. He was born to die, as the old hymn says, that we might live. Jesus came as a baby for the express purpose of dying as a man so that our penalty of our sin could be paid and our relationship with God could be restored. In fact, the whole Old Testament sacrificial system pointed ahead to this moment in time. But now the sacrifices to end all sacrifices have been made once for all. Jesus laid down his life on the cross in order that our relationship with God could be restored. I said earlier that sin is everyone's problem. As your outline says, Jesus is God's answer to our heart problem. Don't you just love going to the mall or walking down the street and hearing carolers sing the familiar songs of Christmas? Doesn't it just do something to warm your heart? One day I was at one of the malls and uh, there was a bunch of carolers gathering and singing these songs as the uh, shoppers went back and forth. And uh, I stopped to listen, and this is what they were singing. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinner reconciled. And I remember thinking to myself at the moment, friends, friends, are you listening to yourself? Are you hearing what you are singing? That's it. That's what Christmas is all about. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you are the very sinner that Jesus came to reconcile to God? We get so busy with our Christmas preparations sometimes that we don't really stop long enough to consider Jesus' version of the Christmas story, to let it really sink in and impact our imagination and our wills. But Jesus never forgot why he came. He never lost God's plot. And the scripture never loses track of the fact that Jesus came at Christmas to be the savior of all men. He came to do what animal sacrifices could never do, He came to change people's hearts and to set them free from the dictatorship of sin to live a whole new and free way well since jesus christ has come a new thing has taken place in human experience once god wrote his directions on stone tablets now he writes his commands on the tablets of human hearts before you could claim well listen i didn't get a chance to read the rules that didn't mean you weren't guilty of breaking them you could just plead ignorance But now that God's rules for living are written on our hearts, we have no excuses. Our conscience warns us when we're getting off track. We are guilty and we need the forgiveness and pardon that Jesus came to provide. And that is what Jesus was born to do, to be our savior. That is why he came, to bring us back to God. Preacher Harry Aronside told the story of an official of Tsar Nicholas of Russia years and years away who had gambled away funds that the monarch had entrusted to his care. And when notified that the Tsar was sending a representative to settle accounts, he panicked and he determined that taking his only life was going to be the only escape. And so he wrote on the ledger, a great debt who can pay. Waking at midnight and picking up the revolver, he looked down at the ledger one more time to see somebody else's hand written beside his awful question. And there was just one word, Nicholas. The Tsar himself had come. And sizing up the servant's desperate situation, he forgave the debt. Only the Tsar could pay the debt, and the Tsar did pay the debt. You see, our sin puts us in a position of hopeless arrears with God. We can't make it right by ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Only God can pay our debt, and he has paid it. Through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, the account has been settled. Now, that is good news, friends. The good news is that we can be forgiven. Thank heavens, sin has a remedy. Our hearts can be healed. God himself has taken the initiative to save us. And here we are, sinners by birth, Sinners by nature, sinners by choice, trying to make some kind of alive for ourselves. And sin keeps scuttling our best efforts. But at the right time, Jesus came, born as a babe in a manger, with a mission to take sin out of the way so that we could find the lives that God intended to us uh, for eternity. Now you might wonder, how did God feel about this mission? How did Jesus feel about this mission God had given him? Well, the Bible puts it this way. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despised its shame, and did the will of God to the letter. It was his joy to bring men and women into a saving relationship with God. It's why he came at Christmas, to accomplish that for all time. John writes in his first letter, he appeared to take away sin, and that's our heart's great hope. Now, every Dr. Seuss story has a moral for young and old alike. And the Grinch at the end of the movie is drawn into the fellowship of those he has long hated. He finds in their accepting and inclusive love the very thing his heart has craved all along. Everybody goes home happy at the end. All of our most beloved Christmas movies tend to have happy endings, don't they? And the reason we love these films the way we do is because we know that everyday life is not like that. Everyday life doesn't always work that way. There aren't always happy endings. But Dr. Seuss does have this right. Whenever the heart is broken, then the whole world breaks down. When our hearts are broken, the world around us breaks down. While The Christmas Story According to Jesus is a screenplay with timeless appeal, I've called it the ultimate Christmas movie, but it has another name, The Gospel. It has lost none of its compelling force over 2,000 years of human history because it deals with the issues that affect every human heart, my heart, your heart. Issues like freedom from guilt and shame. Issues like becoming better than you are and making a difference in the world. Issues like knowing where your life is going and what it all means. In the Christmas story, according to Dr. Seuss's tale, the Grinch's heart grows three sizes bigger because of the kindness of those who had been his enemies. But Christmas is about more than sentimentality. And here is today's big idea. Every time we preach a message here at Broadway, we try to capsulize the message in a pithy statement. And here's the big idea for today if you're following along on your outline. Jesus did not come to give us a change of heart. Jesus came to give us a changed heart. Jesus did not come to give us a change of heart. He came to give us a changed heart. Jesus entered into our world to give us brand new hearts healed from the disease called sin. In the ultimate Christmas movie screenplay, our souls are saved. Our hearts are changed by the power of the love of God displayed in Jesus. Our future is secured by the wonder of God's grace. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. And what he does is clear up our past, take care of our present, and guarantee our future. He came to give us life and life to the full, that's what salvation is all about. So how do you or I become actors in the Ultimate Christmas movie? How can you experience its heart-changing impact in your own life? Jesus said, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Look and believe, look and believe, Turn away from your self-managed agenda and see what Jesus has done to save your soul. And then receive his grift of grace for yourself. And then give yourself wholeheartedly to follow him. When Jesus came that first Christmas, he occupied a manger. Today he wants to take residence in your heart and mine. He wants to invade your life with love and peace and joy and meaning and purpose right now, right where you are. He may be knocking at your heart's door this very morning, and you can experience his life-changing love this very day by opening the door and letting him in. The old Christmas hymn invokes these marvelous words. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given, and God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Friends, there are no pandemic restrictions on inviting Jesus Christ into your heart and life. And if you would like to do that this morning, I would like to pray a prayer for you. And if you pray it with me, if you own this prayer for yourself, you today can open the door and let Jesus Christ into your own life. Won't you pray with me? My God and Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I know that I haven't always done the things that have pleased you. I've done things to hurt other people. I've let other people down. Lord, this morning I realize that I have a need that I can't deal with. But Lord, I thank you that you came and you died on the cross to pay the penalty of my sin. Oh, Lord, I just thank you that there is some hope in my life because you will break that power of all those negative things in my life. And so I come here and I give my life to you. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live a whole brand new kind of life. Lord, this morning, this first Sunday of the Christmas season morning, I want to receive your gift of Jesus Christ and I want to surrender my life to you. I ask you to come into my life. In Jesus' name, I pray amen. Well, friends, if any of you watching this prayed that prayer today, you can call in at the number uh, on the screen. You'll find somebody who will be willing to talk to you and help you take the next step in your spiritual walk. Merry Christmas, everyone.